0: Hello and welcome to the T4D discussion series where we interview theologians, apologists and all-around smart people on a variety of topics ranging from the defense of Christianity to current events. This week we are joined by Melissa Palou. Melissa is a co-chapter director and community apologist for Ratio Christi at Winthrop University. She is also on the speaking team for Women in Apologetics. Melissa sits down with me to discuss the Christian critique of critical race theory and the danger that it poses to the church, as well as her take on the current race relations in the United States and the importance of keeping our identity centered in Christ. We hope you enjoyed this discussion. Well, Melissa, thank you again. I know I already thanked you before the episode actually started, but thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, this is really exciting for me, and I'm so happy that uh, I was able to get you on. So thank you so much.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: Awesome, awesome. Well, can you give uh, give us a little bit of a background of of who you are, um, how you got into apologetics specifically, and I think most importantly. I need to know the story behind the picture of you and Robbie Zacharias. I think uh, that's an important thing that I need to, I need to understand
1: to know. Okay, will, I'll get there for sure. Um, so I'm Melissa Palou. Um, my husband, dad, and I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina. It's a suburb outside of Charlotte. Um, so we're just about 20 minutes um, outside of Charlotte. We are a part of Ratio Christi Campus Apologetics Ministry where we are um, doing apologetics evangelism on the campus here in town uh, at Winthrop University. So we are, we live just right near the campus and we're able to minister to the students. And um, as far as how we got into apologetics, um, you know, when I got saved, um, I did not have a church background. I was actually 20 years old. And I just um, wanted to learn everything that I could about Christianity. I felt like I was like catching up and so I was just reading all of these books and all these works and I was reading Ravi and I was reading um, uh, you know, some C.S. Lewis stuff even early on and things like that, started taking as many classes as I could. And um, I, I didn't realize that I was studying apologetics at the time and I realized that it was actual discipline. And then um, me and my husband met and he was um, into uh, very much into Um, scientific apologetics and so he kind of explained to me like oh yeah this is apologetics what you're doing and what you're studying and so um, we just kind of we actually met literally on an AOL uh, Bible theology chat room (laughs) um, and and literally there were atheists that were coming into the room constantly just trolls and, and like starting problems and Throwing out objections and things, and so we would be engaging them all the time. And so, me and my husband met in a tag team debate with an atheist in a chat room online. That's amazing.
0: That's too cool.
1: <laughs> and so, yeah, um, I, I always tell that story. So that's a big part of our lives. And so, when we um, got married, we um, uh, shortly after we started taking classes at Southern Evangelical Seminary, hearing Matthews, and that that there's just like a whole story behind that how God did that and worked that out. And so through um, SES uh, uh, Ratio Christi was formed, so we were there kind of in the beginning of that. And so later on we came on to to staff with Ratio Christi. And um, we have been uh, at the campus now for about six years or so, six and a half years, and have been full-time missionaries for about five.
0: And so this is what we do
1: uh, every day, all day, is apologetics. And so we really wow. can't think of it doing anything else with our lives.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's going to be cool to be able to do that so closely with your husband as well, right? Well, and yeah, that's going to be a game changer. It's,
1: it's such a yeah, it's such a neat um, dynamic. And my husband actually was raised in Utah. And okay. his, his family was Mormon. And so his family came out of Mormonism when he was young. Mm. And so his parents um, were very much uh, in, interested in the whole Mormon Christian debate and that apologetics perspective and so that was kind of his background is what, you know, in terms of how he um, got started. So we just kind of God just in his sovereign wisdom and and he just put us together. Um, And so it's very uh, been very neat journey to now be able to pour into students. And to skeptics on campus and and you know in the community as well. We don't just focus just on the campus. Um, We've done a lot of things, a lot of pro life outreach and um, pro life sidewalk counseling for years. Um, And so just uh, um, we're kind of uh, community based and outreach based in terms of our, our focus.
0: That's wonderful. So what, what does that ministry look like in the midst of COVID? I mean, I'm sure you can't just go onto the campus like I'm sure you used right. to and all that different kinds of stuff. So what do you do now for that?
1: Yeah, we've had to basically go to digital with everything. Um, so that has been, um, I mean, it's been a plus and a minus, obviously. Um, it's, I'm a very uh, in person person a personable person, you know, I have that personality. And so that's Mm -hmm. been very difficult. Um, And so we've had to just be more intentional about um, staying in contact with our students and things like that. So um, it's been very, it's been a challenge for sure. But um, we have also seen some benefits of it in terms of um, the the, uh, being able to reach others uh, through the technological um, uh, advances and things like that. So. Yeah, it's been um, kind of a interesting, interesting stage, and especially as you plan for the fall, and still so much in the year and things like that. But right. we're just right. prayerful to God, and and know that He'll work everything out.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, know it's been it's been a weird time for a lot of different reasons. Very much so. And, uh, yeah, but the COVID thing going on, and then you have all the protests and the riots and all that stuff uh, going on as well. And and that's actually what you know I, I wanted to talk to you about, and why I reached out to you um, is that uh, I I think I, I I saw you first through it, it may have been I don't know if you're familiar with the name Samuel Say. Um, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I've been I've been following his stuff a lot lately, and and uh-huh. oh man, if if I can ever write as good as him, I will. Oh, be I know. The best He's such
1: a great communicator, like orally and, and he can write well as, you know, and both yeah. people, most people don't have both abilities to do that, but right. he's very good at what he does for sure. Absolutely. Um, I don't know him on a, I don't know him on a personal level, but I have, you know, been um, in his circles and things like that. And right. Learned quite, quite a bit from him.
0: Right. Right. Well, then I started looking into, into what you do and, and all the things I started listening to uh, some of the podcasts that uh, you and your husband uh, were doing together. Um, and, uh, and it doesn't seem like you have a a typical, I guess, what you would call mainstream take on, on all of the race issues that are going on right now. So, um, before we dive into the details, can you give me a, um, your perspective as a Christian on, on everything that's going on right now in terms of race relations in our country?
1: Absolutely. Um, we know that God created humanity, uh, equal, um, there's, uh, I believe that race is a social construct. It's, it's a, um, something that we use um, to uh, navigate through society and to make categories, but we're all one human race, according to the word of God. Um, and according to what we just know, um, even um, uh, your, your mainstream um, sociologists are going to grant that um, race is, is social more than biological and things of that nature. Um, I see um, a divided country um, because there are, um, I'll say, well, first of all, there's spiritual forces, right? That do not, uh, that they don't want to see God's body um, united. They don't want to see people coming to Jesus. So division is a great way to prevent all of that from occurring. Um, in the process, I see a lot of anger um, I see a lot of, uh, finger pointing. I see a lot of accusations. I see a lot of guilt, um, for, um, I would say unwarranted guilt. Um, and I see a lot of leaders, um, caving to, um, I would say secular social theories rather than adhering to the word of God, which is always our answer, um, because we have the truth. And so it's, been an interesting time um for i think as a christian and i would say as a um as a black person too to be in a society that's so divided when um my family for instance um is interracial um my husband's caucasian and then we have a daughter a seven-year-old daughter um um, who's obviously biracial and my network of friends um ministry partners those who support our ministry, the people who I labor with and minister with on on a daily basis, and who are my support system and my friends and my fellow church members. We're all of all different ethnicities and backgrounds and cultures. So um, I have had a, um, so as I see the country divided, it really concerns me. Um, And then when you see Christians kind of uh, veering towards the, the worldly um, type of thinking as far as those divisions as well and, and buying into that, that's really bothered me quite a bit.
0: Yeah. So what, what are those, I guess, worldly divisions that you see? Um, and, and I guess, what is the, what do you think is the the worldly narrative that's kind of driving this division? Yeah the,
1: world, yeah. the worldly narrative I would say is that, uh, and, and I mean, if we want to, we can, we can frame it in a in a name. And if I could, in a terminology, um, your terms, like, um, uh, your, uh, uh, things such as white fragility, um, critical race theory,
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: things of that nature, um, uh, whiteness, um, uh, uh, you kind of woke theology, um, things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So the worldly perspective is that, uh, we're, we're divided, um, as a um racially we're divided into groups oppressor groups and oppressed groups and that our identity is found primarily in that that our identity is our Mm -hmm. our racial uh our racial group Mm -hmm. and that group wherever that group lands on the power structure scale culturally which is um very subjective but wherever your group lies in there really determines how you are to view, how you view the world. So for instance, um, as a, uh, you know, as, as a white male, who's a part of the, um, more dominant, uh, people group, uh, you view the world in terms of your power and your whiteness, um, your, um, ability to your privilege, things of that nature. Um, as far as a, an oppressed group of people, we see things um, from a more of a, uh, a victim perspective, how things, things are happening to us. And we're kind of stuck in this um, in this model um, of where we are as this oppressed group. And so um, and also the idea that we as an oppressed group, Meaning black people, um, I would say, indigenous people that kind of na- that kind of thing. We have been so infected by white culture that that's how we view the world, and that mm-hmm. we uh, need to basically be liberated from that way of thinking, And that involves everything from I mean, everything in culture, you know, even our religion and Christianity, things like that, we need to rethink how we're viewing the world. Our moral guidelines, um, if we're you know moral ob- objectivity, things of that nature, and so um, without like going into like a whole bunch of technical stuff, that's kind of um, the broad way of looking at it. And so it's been a, an, a process where we see um, uh, for the, the those in the oppressor in the oppressor group, many white people um, acknowledging. Their whiteness and acknowledging their power and acknowledging um, their major influence on society, part of um, what they're encouraged to do, and m- most of the literature, the books that are coming out, the literature that's coming out, um, is to uh, confess that they are part of that culture, that they're a part of that prop that they're a part of the problem, that they are, um, I mean, in a sense, racist, you know, um, because even saying that you're not racist is deemed as racist and uh, as defend trying to be defensive um, Mm. and then trying to uh, work towards helping those in this oppressed group who are stuck and using your privilege so to speak to help them to advance Um, and this is because we look at disparities in culture right I mean there are disparities and you know when we look at um, family dynamics we look at maybe income, home ownership, private business ownership, um, things of that nature. There are some disparities, you know, incarceration rates. And so by looking at those disparities, there's this automatic assumption that um, this oppressor group needs to work towards freeing the oppressed group from this bondage that basically that they have caused Mm -hmm. and that they've been a part of. Um, And so that is... uh, what I see as a major problem. And so because of that, um, we're just, we're looking at each other um, not as individuals and not as, um, I would say not as people just made in God's image, but as people who either uh, are the saviors of society or those who need to be saved in society. And um, so that has created such a confusion. And so, yeah, I can yeah we can get more into that and things as well, but yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely well, and, and one of the things that that you said that I think is so important that I feel like just gets kind of left at the wayside um, is is this understanding of inequality and where it comes from. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said when when people who are have kind of fallen into this critical theory um, kind of mindset or or even third wave feminist um, mm-hmm. mindset yeah. they they see that disparity and they what, I think what um, Shelby Steele calls, I mean, he, I think he calls it the racism of the gaps, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like the, the attack of God, the the God of the gaps. It's racism of the gaps. Any yeah. disparity, you can just shove in racism or you can shove in sexism and then boom, it's explained away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a lot more nuanced and complicated. Absolutely.
1: absolutely. Um, so can you, can you talk to that
0: a little bit that maybe yeah. Yeah, there's a little absolutely. bit more going on when you see disparity in the country?
1: Yeah. I mean, there, I mean, if we, we have to acknowledge that our country has a horrible track record as it comes to race. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that anyone is denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we know slavery was horrible. Um, when we look at the whole um, Jim Crow laws and, and the whole civil rights movement mm-hmm. and what had to happen. And so for, um, for, uh, for these laws um, granting uh, equal rights for black people, So we look at that um, and that is a horrible, horrible mark on our history. Um, And then as we get to 2020 and we see, uh, you know, again, these different disparities, um, the assumption and the natural, um, I think, inclination for people uh, is to obviously point to the uh, injustices um, that have happened to black people in America over time, um, which we can't deny has happened. Um, Mm -hmm. However, I think that um, it's more nuanced than that. There's so many factors that go into where someone, where an individual is in life. Um, I would say that their family structure is a major dynamic of that. Um, I mean, if we wanna talk about privilege, I mean, two parent privilege is something that, If we, if even I don't like the term. Sometimes I don't even like the term privilege because it kind of denotes the special status. But, Mm -hmm. but children who have a two-parent home just do better in life in general. They don't. uh, They they their lower incarceration rates, their lower poverty rates, there's higher educational uh, levels and things of that nature. Um. So I think that. um, And when you look at the family structure, um. And even during the civil rights movement. Um, we see, like, actually, the, the statistics have flip-flopped from the fatherlessness rate uh, then, because basically most child, Black children were born into two-parent homes right. that were right. devoted to each other, and you know, and I think that was important because that was a that was an important part of civil rights, mm-hmm. the family model and the family nuclear unit. Civil rights would not have happened. The movement would not have happened without that. Mm -hmm. And so strong families was a big part of the movement. Um, And then over time, what we see is that uh, we have these strong family units, and then we see that, uh, you know, the laws, Civil Rights Act, and and things uh, begin to change slowly. And then um, kind of, you you see that our our government, is usually a, an entity that that steps in to save, mm-hmm. uh, but it more I think it more enslaves than anything. Yeah. And so our government stepped in to um, help, and I think that they created more problems in the black community than anything.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, a, a lot of that had to do with, I think, with social services that were granted. Um, and and it, that was fair because you know there was there was a lot there was a lot of poverty. But there was still a lot of, even in the poverty, there was still a, a strong sense of family, though. Um, but in instituting these social services, um, we know that with any government program, there's always restrictions. There's always regulations. And many of those regulations, uh, uh, basically, there were incentives given um, if uh, there was no, if the, it was no marriage involved, without, if, a couple was un, if a person was unmarried. Um, so even if they were living together and they had children and families, they were incentivized um, for not being married. So that kind of led to a different way of viewing marriage, I believe, over time. And so now we see that um, 73% of black children are, are born into single parent homes. And um, so that, that's, I mean, I don't wanna blame everything on that, but that is a huge part that we forget. And so I think just what happens is when we look at disparities, it's just easy, like you said, to point to one thing and to point to the past. And I'm not saying the past doesn't have any, um, any influence. I'm not saying that there aren't even, maybe even some unfair situations um, that have ha- occurred where there are, where black people may be less um, advantaged. Um, but I think that you have to look at the individual systems, um, You know, whether it's the criminal justice system or the education system, or um, the uh, you know home ownership situation, or you know these sort of thing, or private business situations. I think I have to look at those systems individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but what we see is just this broad gap of just saying everything's racist. Mm-hmm. Every system is infused with racism. Every system is infused with the mindset to keep black people down and to keep them oppressed every system is uh, designed to keep white people in a place of economic freedom and and a, to put them in a better position so I think when you start to make those very broad assertions um, and and when you even the word systemic racism and things of that nature when you just start throwing those things those terms around they just lose meaning over time right and I right, think thats right, and right. and recently that's what ha- what happens on the college campus you hear it on a daily consistent constant basis mm-hmm. and sometimes you know i say well, what do you mean by that you know and they give their kind of the definition of you know these institutions are keeping people down and um people in these disparities and things of that nature but it's just a, a situation where you know we know even as apologists that um people uh don't think through issues all the time very well and so it's just again it's very easy just to throw things into this one gap so that's even when i'm talking about systemic racism i tell people i mean there could be and and but you have to you need to look at specific policies and situations and things of that nature you know for that to be um you know to to look at that if you want to make any reform or anything of that nature
0: yeah and i feel like that's why they almost it seems so vague uh anytime that you hear yeah, and it seems like they're, they're basically just trying to play, I guess, hide the ball and, and by, by using all these vague terms and, and kind of like you said, when, when I've had conversations about uh, systematic racism, uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've asked them to, okay, well, please point me to the, the specific system, the specific person so that we can, mm-hmm. you know, stand together and fight against it. But when you Absolutely. do that, there's not really anything there right. uh, and they don't really know how to answer that particular charge right Um, and what
1: will happen is if and you and I've even in conversations people will say well if you don't hold to systemic racism then I'm not even going to talk to you about race and then I'm like well okay well I don't even know what you mean by that Mm -hmm. um and then so what if I don't hold if I don't hold to that I mean Mm -hmm. why can't we still talk about race you know Mm -hmm. and things of that nature so
0: well with with that with with the kind of shutting down of conversation that kind of leads to my next question um Mm -hmm. I saw recently you you uh put a post kind of talking about this and talking about how it's uh, it's an attack on, on Western culture and Western society and Christianity. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. And I would like to touch on both of those, especially the second portion of that. But first, can you explain what you mean by by how this, I guess, critical race theory is an attack on, on Western culture?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because again, when you're looking at um, oppressed, oppressor and oppressed groups, um, a lot of it, it's not just... Um, social structures and social systems and institutions, you're also dealing with ideology. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the problem is that people, even well-meaning people, even Christian people who buy into some of this, they don't realize that we're not just, there. the whole movement is not about just changing systems and reform and policy reform and police reform. It's not just about that. It's about also reforming ideology and how we think. Mm -hmm. So, when with Christianity being a religion that obviously holds to absolute truth, um, that there's only one way to God, um, just objectivity, you know, objective morals, and things of that nature, um, that becomes a part of. Um, well, that is ha, has is deemed a part of the dominant culture, the ideology, because we are. We, what well, we were, I'll say we were for the most part a Christian Judeo society um, that is rapidly changing or has rapidly changed over time. But because that's what our society has um, has influenced our laws and, and our constitution, um, that is deemed oppressive, right and racist. And so those things need to be undermined and changed. And so, you know, again, things like critical thinking, the laws of logic. Christianity, what the nuclear family, mom, dad, children, those things can be viewed as part of a dominant culture ideology that's just been put on society um, and that we've just kind of adhered to, which has led us to where we are, you know, socioeconomically and things like that. And so all of that, the ideology, it it becomes undermined. And so um, this is why, I mean, you'll see even... I was looking at a Twitter account of a, actually a very popular professor who was questioning things such as basic math, mathematics, you know, right. basically right. two plus two equals four. Mm-hmm. I mean, those can be seen as, um, white racist <laughs> tools, you know, maybe there, maybe that's not how it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it, you quit, you have to, you really, um, with, with the whole movement with the whole social justice and everything and with changing ideology of the society. I mean, it's, you're talking about totally revolutionizing a society in order to make, because the the goal is to make, to create equal outcomes for people, for individuals, so that you don't see these disparities. Um, so in doing that, you just, uh, it, it would require a revolution of society, you know, not just changing a policy here and a policy there, um, and so the, uh, so all that is undermined with the family, religion, all that. And so, and I'll say this, um, maybe probably your your average social justice warrior um, doesn't get that, mm-hmm. um, but it's becoming more mainstream though, this idea of revolution and just changing culture from changing everything in culture. It's becoming more revolutionized. Um, and I mean, and I'll say through. I would say through Black Lives Matter. I would say that 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 is one of the dangers of the movement. I mean, when we look at their guiding principles, one of their guiding principles is all about changing the nuclear family, undermining the Western nuclear uh, family, right, and promoting LGBT values and and uh, transgender identity. So, things, gender, gender, sexuality, family structure, all of that has been mainstreamed. Um, and and to undermine, revolutionize through the Black Lives Matter movement, I would say.
0: Yeah, well, um, and well, and going with that, I mean, I guess kind of leapfrogging from that, um, mm-hmm. the black, the leaders of Black Lives Matter, even they themselves have said that they're a trained Marxists, and right. so when you start talking about revolution, um, mm-hmm. do you think many people are aware, and especially Christians, do you think many Christians are aware of? the connection between this critical race theory and uh, I guess you would call it neo-Marxism. Do you think um, that people understand that?
1: I would say um I would say maybe two years ago up until two years ago maybe they didn't. But mm-hmm. now you have works that are coming out. I mean you when you have uh Kennedy's how to be a racist and you have Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility, when these books are becoming mainstream now. Mm-hmm. When you look, when you go, if you go right now to look at the bestsellers right now, and I try to, um, <laughs> I try to keep up my library with the new, everything that's coming out, all the works that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I can't even keep up. Um, I can't afford to even keep up, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you also have, um, out of that, you have the Christian works that are coming out of that, like the woke church and things like that so it's becoming mainstream um and so and people are reading this stuff people are reading this and they are becoming um activated in their activism and so uh i would say up until recently when when these works and books became more mainstream maybe not so much um and they may not know like oh it's neo-marxism and things like that but uh the ideas and the ideologies are definitely market marketable now and are being accepted more by the mainstream
0: yeah mm-hmm. so why do you think that the i guess i got two questions here why yeah. do you think that the church has has kind of gotten sucked into it um almost almost like they feel bad if they don't get sucked into it why, why do you think that is and then what do you think the danger is for the church
1: yeah i think i mean if we look back over ever maybe recent events if we go back to like 2013 um, when Trayvon Martin was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look at 2016 with the Michael Brown situation yeah. when he was killed by that, by the police officer. I mean, and then currently, obviously, and then there's been a few other, uh, police shootings of black unarmed, men, uh, and since, and then, but most recently, you know, with, with George Floyd and, um, and then you have Arbury Honorary, um, the Arbery, excuse me. Um, I think what has happened is that the church, um, because of the past, I mean, the church, there are, the church, there, ha, there has been racism mm-hmm. that has been sanctioned in the church in the past, I would right. say. Right. And so right. we, we see that, we see that with um, w- with churches that did not allow black members and did not allow black leadership and things of that nature. Um, so as those churches have reformed over the years and have become more, you know, have, have denounced those things and, and moved past that, I still think that there's a, a tendency to uh, overcompensate for the for the past. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and also, I mean, and and you, and we see this on social media all the time, anytime there's something, an event like this that happens with the George Florida or with the Michael Brown, you see, oh, where's the church? Oh, the church is silent. The church, oh, I don't hear nothing. You know, I mean, I see that all the time. Oh, I don't see y'all saying that. I see y'all talking about abortion, but I don't see y'all talking about this. And wow. so, and so there's a, um, and so there's, it's almost like this pressured response. And sometimes it's a very early pressured response to these mm-hmm. things and to these incidences. And so I would say that, that it's a combination of that. Um, I would say some, some guilt from the past, overcompensation for that, as well as just pressure from society to respond. And so, um, instead of just, um, uh, you know, and then, in in and there's this idea, even in some of my conversations when, with Christians, um, and you, they say, oh, just saying that um, we're created in God's image, and that we're, there's no male, no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile in Christ, that we're all one in Jesus, and that we're one body, and that we're, we're equal in his eyes, and that, we um are are a body that can be together and be uh more, you know diverse and things like that, that's just not enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you hear that mindset that that there that's not enough. And so I think there's a response and so and then when leaders start responding and making statements and then books start coming out, it just creates a, a lot of um it can create groupthink and things of that nature. Um and so the dangers of that, um I mean, is it's, you know, being uh, separate, from, I mean, leading not leading people to Jesus, to the answer, but keeping people in this cycle of, um, the cycle of works of, of social justice and things of that nature. Right. And yeah. um, so, I mean, and I can get into that, the dangers of that, because what happens with, you know, when you become, when one understands all the stuff we were kind of talking about earlier with the oppressor class and oppressed class and the dominant culture and all these things. um, And one comes to know that um, through what's technically called liberatory consciousness or what we would call woke in our modern slang or modern terminology. When one becomes woke, um, they're activated to social justice, um, to right the wrongs and to basically create this class where there's this society where there's no oppression at all. And so, mm-hmm. um, within Christianity, the, the problem with that is it's, there's multiple problems with it, but I would say it, um, th- with social justice, there's no, um, it's, there's no, cause we're talking about revolution. There's no guidelines standards. There's no parameters. Um, it's just do something, change things. So, For instance, when we see violence and things at these protests or riots, I mean, people will say, oh, that's just isolated incidents, you know, or, you know, and things of that nature. Well, no, it's not isolated incidents. It's when you're, when you are activated and you're angry and you're in um, revolution mode and there's no, there's no guidelines set, why not burn people's stuff? Why not tear down buildings and, you know, things of that nature? So with the Christian, however, we obviously have a standard, right? We have a, we have a book, the scriptures, the Bible that gives us parameters for what we do. We don't destroy property. We don't, we respect our neighbors. We love our neighbors as ourselves and things of that nature. So we have very quick guidelines from, from scripture. And so, um, that's just some of the dangers I think you can get caught up in. Um, and then just with the social justice, I mean, just getting caught up in this work of, of, uh, of. Um, unoppre- unoppressing society, and that being your focus, right, mm-hmm. and just getting caught in that cycle over and over to a point to where, um, uh, and, and you find with this, with social justice, with the th- with the theory and things like that, there's really no end to it. Like you're always, there's always reforming that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. So there's always work that you're doing, and um, there's no rest in that. It's, it's very works-based. And so that's very antithetical to the gospel. So I don't, I, so these, when Christians, when pastors and Christians, when we go that route, we, um, yeah, we, we lead ourselves and others away from the truth of scripture and the rest and the, of Christ and the gospel of Jesus.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, and you mentioned something that, that, I guess, worries me too, that there is no end to it. And I think one of the problems that I see coming down the future or coming down the pike, I guess, for the country and, and for the church is that, um, and it touches on another point that we made is that if you're just claiming that there's this boogeyman out there and you're not allowed to talk about the the potential that the boogeyman may not really be there or may not be as big as he actually is, mm-hmm. then you're just, you're, you're fighting a ghost. And when you're doing that, um, you you never know when you're done fighting the ghost because um, because you're you're fighting something that's not based in, in reality or, or even or factual statistics just, um, yeah, that you can look at.
1: Yeah, objectivity, right. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah. And so yeah. I even saw that um I think I uh, I saw that you put a post of your your husband getting flat for having a um uh,
1: uh, a, a thin blue line flag in our gym.
0: Right, yeah. And so even yeah. with uh, I mean, what, it was Harvard professor Roland Fryer, who who who's a liberal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he made a study that there's no disparity between um, uh, cops shooting unarmed black men or cops shooting unarmed white men. Mm-hmm. But that those statistics like that are just thrown out the window and Absolutely. not cared about. And so when you're mm-hmm. dealing with people who who don't care about those things, and do, I guess my question is, do you think that there is people are putting too much emphasis on how they feel or, or what they feel is happening and just leaving facts and statistics and all that out of it.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I mean, it's like you said, yeah, when you look at the statistics on cop shootings and and white men who have been shot, I mean, I I fo- I mean, I follow um these events, you know, and I see um instances that that occur um and so yeah, when but remember well one of the things too with 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 this whole woke theology critical race theory things like that is this idea of lived experience Mm -hmm. and so what lived experience is 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 knowledge um gained um maybe real it's like real knowledge sort of i've heard them say real knowledge that's gained through the lived experiences of of oppression Mm -hmm. so um okay so you have statistics and things, but then you have the lived experience of someone who is oppressed, right? Um, and so what, hap- what happens is then your experiences are, are viewed through the lens of oppression. Mm-hmm. So just, so think of that. Um, if If my experiences are viewed through the lens of oppression, I'm gonna see a lot of racism. Mm -hmm. on a daily basis right i'm gonna even go back to things that happened in my past and think wow i didn't think about that when that unjust thing happened to me or when i should have gotten this raise and i should have got this that was because of oppression that was because of racism um so yeah so that becomes the uh that becomes that trumps everything right Mm -hmm. and so um Yeah, so every objectivity is thrown out the window, and this is why you know we have to be careful too. I mean, even as Christians, because we want to weep with those who weep. Scripture tells us that too. We want to be compassionate, you know. And I'll tell you, when I literally when I saw that video of George Floyd being killed, I mean, I couldn't sleep for days. I mean, it just it because it I saw that video. We saw someone being that was so unjust, that was so inhumane, and we literally saw someone being killed before our eyes that was hard to watch and hard to swallow. And to imagine that that happened in America, but it did happen. Um, And so, uh, and so, you know, someone even told, you know, I was thinking of uh, one of my um, psychology friends was saying, she brought out a very good point about that, with that video or with any police shooting with any, because now that we have cell phones and now that we we have video and we can watch it as many times as we want and share it as many times as we want. When you watch something, uh, every time you watch it, it's like a new experience, Mm -hmm. right? So like when I watch Lord of the Rings, you know, know, it's like a new experience every time I watch it, right? It's like, oh, I'm gaining more insight from it. Oh, it's just, it's like a brand new thing, you know, I'm excited to watch it every time. And so it's kind of the same thing with these tragedies and with these videos and with these recordings. When you watch it, it's like a new experience. So it might be one event that happened, but in your mind, it becomes this is the norm. Mm-hmm. this is the reality because I watched it so much it just becomes normalized that this is how society is, right, right. and that black man right. being hunted right. down that I'm being hunted down if I go for you know with a Arbery, if I go for a job i'm gonna die because you know you can it can be ingrained in your brain that way and so um you're but again, with no objectivity and with lived experience it's been the 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 mantra of the day then that's all that's what we go off of and so but i wanted to make the point with christians we have to be careful when it comes to things like we talk about empathy and compassion um let's see how do i want to say this in a way that's that's biblical but that's also that people understand that the some of the the problem how far you can take an extreme yes we're to listen yes we're to be we're to be slow to speak a uh, uh, quick so uh, slow, yeah, slow, quick to hear, so to speak, and things of that nature we want to listen to people 's experiences that mm-hmm. hey that 's how we even share the gospel with people right for, um for the most part is listening to people and their and their lives and their experiences and things yeah. and form, and that's how we form relationships with people um, the the idea though even with white fragility and things like that um is that as a white person, for instance you your job is to listen right your job is to listen to me as an oppressed person and to listen to what i have to say and to listen to my experiences and to affirm me in those experiences um and things of that nature um and so we just have to be i i think that's we that's great but we just have to be very careful with that how far we take that um because lived experience can't you i mean you can experience things again that you're um, interpreting through the lens of oppression, that may not be that at all.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: like you could have, you know, you run into some. If you have a bad experience in a store, or with, you know, an employee in a store, it may not be that. It's it may not be because they're they're white and you're black. Mm-hmm. It may be that they just had a very bad day. It may be that they their parent just passed away. It could be anything of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And there are some very clear instances where you can point to, oh, this was, you know, these are clear instances of racism. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying anything is wrong with, you know, with sharing that. We should, you know, so people are are aware of what's going on. Because it it is, it's, we're sinful. It's in society. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, and I got, I have a newsflash. It's not (laughs) going to (laughs) end until racism is not going to end until Jesus Christ comes back Mm -hmm. and the earth is rid of sin. But, um, yeah, we have to be really careful with that whole lived experience and how we listen to people. And it's, I think it's okay to listen. Um, you know, but I don't know that, I don't think that you have to necessarily affirm everything mm-hmm. that someone says, um, about, you know, experiences are just experiences, right? They just how someone feels about something, but there could be circumstances that contradict, um, their, how they experience something. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't think it's anything wrong with, and people say that this is, you know, this is gaslighting people. If you, if you question them, if you, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, well, could that have been that, you know, that person just had a bad day? Could it have been this? Could it have been that? Was it, you know, because, you know, that might free them from this feeling that they were objectified, you know, um, if they think of it a, a different way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
0: Well kind of going back in the conversation just for a second and you touched on it already a little bit the the topic of white guilt I think has has really just kind of washed over the whole country and 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 again the church like you said mm-hmm. um and uh and, and I wanted to see if you could talk on the on I guess how it relates to the biblical view of of sin because it seems like it's trying to put, put on this class-based guilt, which is, again, it's a, it's a Marxist ideology. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you, you saw that in the Soviet Union and, and I was listening to actually, I, it was either, I believe it was Thomas Sowell, um, speak on the dangers of that. Um, it, it may mm-hmm. have been Larry Elder actually, but, um, yeah. so can you, can you speak on, on the, the topic of white guilt and, and yeah. how it relates, um, I, I guess to, uh, or I guess maybe where that stands biblically, if that makes
1: yeah, sense. Yeah, 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 good, yeah. So with the idea of white guilt, um, so with white fragility, white guilt, these sort of, these sort of th- phenomenons, I mean, literally, um, it's, it, what you're, what, in, what you're encouraged to do is to, is to look inside and to um, uh, discover the racism within you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because technically is there, you know, Um, you know, you're, you're part of the racist society and therefore racist. Okay. So, um, and and biblically we are told to examine our hearts. That's the thing, right? That's what makes it so hard sometimes for even with Christian dialogue about this, because we are told to expose our hearts and God can expose things, um, in us that we didn't realize, you know, because we've been you know, just going along and not, you know, not thinking too much about it. Mm -hmm. So that's very biblical to examine our hearts. Um, the, the problem is, um, when you, when it's, when there's something loaded on onto that, you know, when it's Mm -hmm. not, it's not personal between you and God, but there, that there's these loaded circumstances in which you're just to examine the racism in your heart, you know, and it's there. And, um, so it's, so a lot of the so a lot of the works that are out now i mean it that's just the case um the even even so-called bible studies on race it's very the the questions are very loaded and even um one study that i was in i won't name it um but it was the, the questions were all related um it would be like um name a time when you prejudged someone name a time when you did this name a time when you thought bad things about somebody and name a time you know so it's all so you're getting this over and over so you can imagine as a white person you're like oh my goodness I am racist you know and so um and and then you there's this this idea of when you say I have black friends and I have you know black nieces and nephews and I adopted black children that's just you that's just your fragility coming through um, to show that you really are racist and that you're trying to cover up your racism. So it's like you can't win from losing, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: I've always wondered, okay, I've always wondered people like, oh when someone says I've got black friends, you know, they're racist and I'm like, how? <laughs> <laughs> how? <Well. laughs> you know, um but anyway, but, Again, that's just, I mean, our society just, they that's something that we bought into. But from a biblical perspective, I mean, again, we're told to examine our hearts. If there is racism and prejudice there and things like that, then yeah, um, rep- hey, repent of it. Repent of it. Give it to the Lord. You know, walk through it. Be aware of it, you know? I don't think that it's something that you owe a duty to go to a black person and confess. I don't think it's something that you have to publicly make this declaration. I don't think that it's something that you have to spend your life now in the social justice work um, now trying to correct society, you know? So it's just, it, it's it's a very subjective thing and I think it's very loaded and I think it's in a lot of the literature that it's it's just bare it's assumed, right? And so, um, and again, to deny it just shows your fragility. And so you don't want to be, it's almost like, you know, you don't want to be a white you don't want to be white and fragile it's better to be racist than to be white and fragile (laughs) you know (laughs) you know and then you have your but then you also um you know matt you have your your like your with Kendi and um his work is is it's actually very a very deep work though that i think he wrote um but uh, on how to be an anti-racist so then you have the idea of okay racism racist versus anti-racist so um and you could, you know, even say, I'm not a racist. Okay, but are you anti-racist? Are you actively fighting for justice and, and to end racism and oppression in society? Well, actually, I, I don't think I am. Okay, then you're not, you know, then you're not not mm. racist, you know? Yeah. So there's no there's no category of not being a racist, you know?
0: Right. So,
1: and so for white people, that is just something that is now imposed and something that is assumed and, and something that m- most of them are willingly... Well, a lot of, most are willingly taken upon themselves. Mm -hmm. And so the guilt then motivates, um, the guilt motivates the social justice in the work, right? To end oppression. Um, And again, but where is Christ in that? I mean, where where is your relationship with Christ in that whole process that that you're just adhering to what society's telling you to do? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, again, sin, if there's sin, yeah, definitely. You got to repent of that. You gotta have, you know, you want your a right relationship with Jesus more than anything. But you're, I mean, first of all, if if there is a a, a sin of racism, your first act of offense is against God, because He made man in His image, and then and then then to man, you know. Um, So and we see that in the scriptures. So that's something that that's left out of. I think it's kind of left out of the equation, you know, just oh repent, and you know move on and and be obedient to the scriptures that's just it's ignored
0: yeah absolutely
1: it's like it's too simplistic i guess for you know for our modern modern social theories
0: yeah absolutely absolutely sorry i was reading my mic because i don't know if you can tell there's a screaming baby in the background so that's quite (laughs) okay
1: oh i i'm saying sounds so it's a boy or girl
0: uh, it's a boy. It's a boy. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I miss those baby cries. So. Oh, hey,
0: well, I'm sure I'll miss it eventually. But, but no, he's amazing. It's the happiest two and a half months that we've ever had. But. Uh, so it it, uh, it itself almost sounds like you're buying into a religion almost when you're when you're talking about this woke ideology, because it, it sounds like it, it first starts with, like you said, examining your heart, biblical principles. And, and that's a good mm-hmm. thing. But then it sounds like it's uh it's something that I mean you have to, you know, confess not just to God, but you have to like confess to these uh I guess woke priests and make sure that everybody knows that like you Or accepted. even or even
1: congregational, congregational type of yeah. congregational repentance and, and and guilt and all that repentance repentance mm-hmm. ceremonies and things like that, like those things become necessary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and are so, part of that.
0: Right. So I guess closing closing things out, um, how do we bring Jesus into this and, and how do you um, build that bridge to people who are in it, like just net deep in this whole woke ideology? How do you bring right. Jesus to them? And, uh, um, and I guess that kind of goes two ways. How do you do it with people who are unbelievers? And then how do you, how do you have conversations with people who are believers?
1: Um, absolutely. So I would say um, for the, for anyone who's caught up in, and there's a lot, um, even um, you'll, a, there's a lot of there are Christians who have friends and family who are caught up in uh, critical theory and and into social justice and things of that nature and so um, in the anti-racist movement and these sort of things and so you, I mean you do have to be compassionate because mm-hmm. um, I found um, you have, you do the way that you the way that you respond and treat them and, and things of that nature. It's a reflection. So, I mean, you have to be be compassionate because they're, and acknowledge that their heart technically is in the right place, you know? I mean, and, and, and caring about people, right? So we wanna show that we care about people as well, right? So that's very important. We want to show that we care about people just as much, you know, or if not more. And, but our motivation is not social justice. Um, our motivation is not um, principles of critical theory, right? Our motivation is that we have a scripture that says that man was created in the image of God. The very first book of the Bible, the foundational foundational doctrine, you know, man bears the image of God. And because of that, we care about individual people. Um, we care about groups of people. But we see people as individuals, and we see their identity first in, in that in that they were made in God's image, right? And so I think even I mean it's almost the same for Christians and non-Christians in that regard. Like bringing it back to that, because mm-hmm. um, you know, and that that what again what our motivation is, you know, even if um, I'm marching or I'm um, and I I believe that we have that we need distinct distinct Christian. Activities and marches and things like that outside of BLM as a matter things that point to Jesus
0: mm-hmm. uh, And
1: mm-hmm. not just an angry crowd of people. I think that we can have um, That we can do opportunities like that together as Christians and um, and show that we care but I again, I think our expressing our motivation for why we're doing what we're doing understanding that their heart of compassion, but showing um, connecting that as well mm-hmm. with our heart of compassion and then you know um, you know, sometimes you just have to challenge ideas, too. Yeah, you just have yeah. to say, you know, why, why do you believe that? You know, of course, I mean, when, we learn that in apologetics, right? When you mm-hmm. listen, like, with tactics, why do you believe that? You know, how did you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Those questions are, are fundamental in this mm-hmm. discussion. Because when you ask a lot of people, why do you believe that? And how did you come to that conclusion? You'll find a lot of ums, ums, and just a lot of the repeated phrases and things of that nature well, why, why does, why do you believe that? Well, why do you believe that? You know, that kind of thing. And so it's like, and then, Oh, I read a book a lot of times. Um, and so I think just asking those kind of questions, having, I mean, having the discussions, expressing our motivation is in Christ, pointing people to him. And, you know, when we look at racial unity, you know, and I look at the scriptures and, you know, even in revelation, the book of revelation, Mm -hmm. when, um, I mean, the Bible, I mean, in terms of revolutionary, in terms of race and putting in people being unified, the Bible is like the handbook when you look at it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so pointing people to the Bible and those passages that um, are um, the, the inspired word of God are so important and that, that, oh, we already have the answer. When I look at the book of Revelation and when John, is, um, John has this, this re- revelation, and he's, uh, at the Isle of Patmos, and he, God gives him a glimpse into the end times, and he sees the throne, and all of these people of all these different tribes and nations and tongues, and they're singing one song and glory to Jesus. I think that um, that God gave us that image for a reason because He wants us to. He wants His body is unified. His body is gonna. His His real body is unified, regardless of race, regardless of. Status, regardless of occupation and and education, and all these things, and I think um, if we get back to that, and if we express that God's heart for that, um, that that's so important to people, Um, and I, you know, and so this world, there's just there's no answers in these theories. It's just an ongoing cycle of work, right, and guilt, and it never ends. And we can show people that in Jesus Christ, you know, he, that he died for us mm-hmm. and that we're saved when we're saved, when we're in him, when we're secure in Jesus Christ, when our sins are covered, that it's a once for all activity and that there's no work, right? Um, we were not saved by works, but it was by grace that we were saved. And so mm-hmm. uh, re explaining grace and what grace means. Um, I even said, you know, to me, I talk about, I, I would not. I wouldn't mind being friends with a racist person, you know? I think that that would be a great opportunity, you know, um, to, you know, talk about these issues and to talk about Jesus and things like that nature. But it's almost like if you're deemed a racist, oh, stay away from them, cancel them. They're, you know, they need to lose their job. They need to be out of society. They need to be um, ostracized. They need to be put on blast. They need to go, their videos need to go viral, you know? Not oh let's talk to them let 's win them let's not hate them. you know, mm-hmm. so I think that those ideas too um of showing compassion to even the racist, you know because in christ so so are, would we be if, you know or worse you mm-hmm. know, I think right. about my own sin, you know, so I think pointing, showing our own sin and that racism is not the unforgivable, unpardonable sin, right. and that solving race relations are, are is is not going to solve society. It's not going to going to make this utopia in society, right? Um that there is a day coming when that is going to be the case. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that we can't work towards a society where people hurt less, you know, but I mean we we should, but we if we point to this when there's going to be a day of rest, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be with him, we're going to be with him forevermore. Uh, there's not going to be no more sin and we can rest and it, we're going to be totally unified. Mm-hmm. And, and that picture in John shows it with these people, of all different tribes and nations and tongues. If we paint that picture for people and make that the focus, then I think that that changes the whole dynamic of the, of the discussion.
0: Yeah. Amen. <laughs> oh, gives, me, gives me goosebumps just thinking about that. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Amen to that. Um, yeah. So is, are there any resources that you would point people to uh, to learn a little bit more about this?
1: Yeah, um, I would say go to if you go to um, Nils, Dr. Neil Shimvy has done a lot of work, great work on this. Shimby um, Apologetics. Ratio Christie actually produced a booklet that is for free on our website. Awesome. It's a thirty, it's a thirty-page booklet, and actually Dr. Neil Shimby and Dr. Pat Sawyer, I believe, uh, co, uh, co-wrote this booklet because um, there's not um, there's not really a printed. Answer to CRT right now, honestly. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, but, so, that booklet is, is probably one of the best resources right now. So, if you go to rashiochristi.org, mm-hmm. look for the booklet uh, on its um, answering critical theory or something of that nature. But just if you Google and find it, you can download it for free. And so um, it's been downloaded thousands of times, and I'm so happy about that. And you can print it yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And you, you can distribute it. I've, I've even printed some and distributed them to people. Shimmy um, Nip- Apologetics is a great resource. Um, and also the Center for Biblical Unity. Um, Monique mm-hmm. uh, Desan, she's doing a great work with this new organization. Um, and she actually was in, she was a critical theorist. Oh, um, wow. And oh. she came out of it. Um, And she is, um, she's lived abroad in Africa and things like that. But she has uh, the Center for Biblical Unity. If you look up her website, Mm -hmm. she has Mm -hmm. a lot of great resources. She's doing a lot of interviews and podcasts and things like that. She knows a lot more than me, I think, um, about this topic. But um, I think that God's going to use her organization to really transform, because she's countering what the world's saying. And she's pointing Christians to the biblical model for racial unity. Um, So those are great resources.
0: Wonderful. How can people keep up with you?
1: Okay, so Rachel Christie at Winthrop. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Rachel Christie Winthrop, um, Melissa, uh, Melissa Palu, uh, Rachel Um, I'm a supportive missionary. You know, it doesn't hey. ever ha- hurt if you want to donate and help our ministry keep doing Absolutely. what we're doing. Absolutely. Good <laughs> so on yeah, her, people. On, yeah, you can definitely find us on, on Facebook and uh, the Rachel Christie website. Um, I, our, our bio's there as well um, and
0: things of that nature. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Melissa, thank you so much. This was amazing and and I would love to do it again uh, sometime in the future. And again, My just also, thank you so much for
1: taking your time. Also to our YouTube channel. Oh Arisha, yeah. I'm sorry, I forgot about Orisha Christie Winthrop YouTube channel. We actually have videos um, on an array of um, uh, apologetic topics and some race topics and discussions that we've had. So our Perfect. YouTube is a great, great resource.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. This was, this was wonderful.
1: I appreciate you so much.
0: All right. Have a great day.
1: You too. God bless you.
0: God bless you. Bye-bye.